Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, the podcast produced by Future Leaders Mentoring. We have a clear mission to create an inclusive and diverse community that enables individuals to unlock their potential and develop their career. Today we're chatting with Laura Sundays in one of our special podcast series on leaders' life stories. Hi, Laura. Hi, and lovely to see you. Yes, you too. Um, really looking forward to this this conversation today. Um, we've 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 learned a lot as we've gone through this series, um, and we're we're sort of really getting into it now. So I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Um, so jumping straight into the to the first question, then Laura. So. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role is today. So I'm a sort of weird person who is really, I suppose, a sort of serial entrepreneur. So I've had um, two, well, three small businesses, which I've built up. Um, but that sort of entrepreneurial spirit has been in some ways um, sort of punctuated by some very weird things that I've done, such as being a member of parliament. And now I sit on quite a few boards in relation to the energy sector and looking at governance, looking at the energy transition and climate change and decarbonisation, which is a really exciting moment. Wow. And what what I mean, I've got to ask you about being a member of parliament. What kind of took you in that direction then? So obviously Mm. being an entrepreneur, you know, fast moving you know, um, all, all of that sort of stuff, being in control of your own destiny and then becoming an MP. How, how did you move from one to the other? Well, I'm sure it was a, a mistake, but um, I got captured by, um, at, at a point in my career, when some people sort of mentioned that this might be a, an idea and um, my dad and my granddad were also MPs. And wow. so maybe... I um, was sort of captured a little bit by my experiences of them. Mm. Um, And I had an extraordinary time in Parliament, but I have to say, I'm very pleased to no longer be there. (laughs) It It was great while it lasted, but it was very good. After five years, I decided not to stand again. And I'm sort of, I have, I hopefully re-entered the human race again. <laughs> That's very well put, very well put. Um, so thinking then, you know, you mentioned then your, your father and your grandfather, father, just going right back to, to sort of the, the beginnings of your life and so we can start to understand you a little bit more. What's the sort of first memory you've got growing up? What, how does, what, what, what is that for you? Well, I think it was um, meeting the American ambassador. And I was about five and I went up to him and I looked terribly disappointed because he didn't have a Stetson and a gun because those were the only Americans I'd ever met in my life. And now, surprisingly enough, I'm married to an American who (laughs) has never owned a Stetson and would be appalled at even handling a gun. So, um, sort of wow. life comes around in circles. It does, it does. What I mean, what an amazing first memory to have. I mean, did, it, does that sort of speak to the sort of the upbringing you had and the sort of circles that, that you were involved in as a child or? Well, I suppose a little bit, yes. But my, my life went through quite a lot of, I mean, I think one of the things that I would say about life is, you need to be very resilient. So my life was very privileged when I was little. 
And then my father had a massive stroke and everything, all our lives were turned upside down. And I left school at 17 and went to work as a dispatch rider. So Ian, if you ever want to know the back streets of London, I can tell you how quickly to get from A to B. Crikey. Blimey. And was that sort of on a on a moped, on a on a sort of on a moped, yes. On a moped. Wow. And I rode a bike around London for about 16, 17 years. Not as a dispatch rider, I might might say, yes. because I left that after two or three years. But um just I've always liked bikes. Wow. That's 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 amazing. Um and and I guess we're learning a bit more now about you. Um, is there anything else you'd kind of add to, you know, your your journey to this kind of point? So obviously, you know, as you as you mentioned, a privileged upbringing, then sort of with with some um, family challenges um, and being an MP. Anything else in in this wonderful life of yours that you want to share with us? Well, um, so my life is full of lots of accidents. Okay. Um, not not bad accidents, but accidents in terms of career. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on three um, hit lists. So one was a Peruvian terrorist group. The second was Saddam Hussein. And the third, I don't know whether I'm still on it, but I was on a watch list for the um, FSB, which is the new KGB. Um, when I was working in Georgia, not the American Georgia, no, no. Uh, the Georgia yeah. in the Caucasus. And so I've sort of, you know, been, been what's called out there a bit. Uh, mm. wow. Maybe not always making myself most popular, but um, certainly never. One of my fears in life is being bored. Yeah, I, well, yes, absolutely. And how... How do you how do you deal with those sorts of pressures on a day to day basis then? So so there's pressures in work, that sort of thing. Do you do you just kind of get on with things or does it is it in the back of your mind often? How do do you feel about it? No, not too much. I mean, I don't think about it a lot. Um, I know that there are certain countries that I can't go to. I know that there are certain things that would be um, stupid to do. I'm not planning any trips to Moscow, but nor is anybody else at this no. moment. But no. I haven't for probably about 15 years. Um, and um, so you just take, you know, I mean, if if one's trying to make a bit of a difference in certain areas, then, you know, you sort of take risks to what's called upsetting people. <laughs> you. You, you, you clearly, in, in just in this sort of 10, 15 minutes we're chatting, you revel, you obviously revel in doing good things, even if it does upset people. Is that, is that a fair assumption to make? Yeah, I mean, I personally think so, but lots yeah. of people might have a different <laughs> view of what is good. Um, I'm very proud of something that we set up straight after me leaving Parliament, which was something called the Food Foundation. And that's a charity that I established, which is looking at free school meals, food insecurity, um, obesity with children. And we work very closely with Marcus Rashford on his campaign. And so that might not have um, endeared me to certain powers that be, because 
we've been looking for real change in the food system to help um, particularly low-income families. Yes. So that's one dimension where, yeah, if you think you're doing good, you might be ruffling a few feathers, but that's that's what making a, a difference or hopefully making a difference matters. Yeah, definitely. And is there a... Is there, is there anything in, in your life so far that's kind of stuck with you as a life lesson that you share with others in, in, in any of your conversations? So I would say that certainly um, having my our life bit turned upside down due to my father's stroke and everything going topsy-turvy, um, I would say resilience. I think you've got to be resilient. You've got to know that life isn't just a sort of rose arch of things and be able to pick yourself up and and plow on. Um, so, but you know, that's some people have resilience and some people don't and I'm not against um, society being there for people who haven't got that resilience. But if I'm talking about a career, it's about um, exciting yourself, always knowing when you've had enough of a job and never being particularly frightened of the future. But I would say one thing that was quite interesting. I think one of the things of resilience was because I was a dispatch writer and I knew all the back streets, I always felt that I would have a skill that if everything went wrong, I could always become a taxi driver or a, oh, yeah. a mini cab driver. Yes. And now with Google, my all my skills have been thrown out the window. <laughs> so I have no resilience. So I'm really trying to become an amateur plumber. Okay. So I mend our boiler and things like that and all those sorts of things. Just because it makes me feel more secure to know that if there was something dreadful that happened, Yes, I could just about scrape through a living. Wow, and and there's the, the both of those things there seem very practical skills to have, mm-hmm. really yes. kind of hands-on um, skills. Is there is there kind of anything um, that what you, why do you think you're drawn to those things as well then? Because I think um, practicality is really really important. I actually think it really having a mind that is practical also is really helpful in much more what I would call sort of strategic and um, large business issues. Hmm. If you know how to mend the photocopier, if you know how to um, get around, make things happen on a practical level, I think you can bring that into the boardroom. I think you can bring that, I mean, not being a plumber, but actually having that adeptness of yeah. or understanding delivery matters. Yeah. I think there's a lot of theorizing in life and actually doing and delivering is quite quite important. Yeah, no, I think I think there's a there's definitely a a, a link there, isn't there, between, you know, uh, people wanting leaders to know what it's like to do the yeah. job or to yeah. be on the front line or to experience what the customer experience is more often. Totally. And I think it's it, it's a really important part of, of people strategy. Um, and it's also really important that, that you, I mean, people say that you can't be a leader unless you do understand everyone's role. You don't have to have done it but you really do have to understand how important those people that might be the least valued in 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 your company actually 
enable um, everyone else to do their job. Mm. And I think in leadership, valuing people is something people are very much into rewarding people, which is very important, you know, appropriate salary. But valuing is something on top of reward. It's about respect. It's about um, nurturing. It's about um, understanding their contribution to to the wider organisation. So rewarding and valuing is important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something in there as well, isn't there, about um, caring for the people in our organisations these days. And that's that's something certainly I've noticed in the last sort of five, ten years where where you're working in organisations, the the conversations about looking after people and caring for people just seem to be a bit more natural now, whereas previously it was about um, a quarterly review and you might ask, how, how your family were doing or things like that. Whereas now it's very much caring, I think. It's quite yeah. But I think that there was also everything used to be, and in some companies still is, is how strong are you? How long do you work? How many hours did you put in? How much face time in the office? All of these metrics of value were not really a value to the company and they certainly weren't necessarily valuing the human being. And so there's a whole different set of metrics by which you get the most out of people um, and you get the longest loyalty. And to be frank today, where really, you know, an employee is in a um, is, is in much more greater control because of higher employment, etc. Mm. Um, those value valuing your team is a very, very important part of retention, of of, of culture um, that needs to become much, much more central. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I totally agree with you as well about the metrics. And there has to be a massive shift as leaders to look at very different metrics now. And and as you say, move away from the, you know, if if you're in a sales organization, how many times have you been at a client's site? How many times are you meeting with clients? Is that the metric or is it something else? And I think there's a, there needs to be a massive shift. And although um, people get more choice now as to what they do, leaders are in exactly the same situation. They're having to adapt, but they also have to think about themselves. Well, is this the right cultural fit for me? And having a bit more control over that. Yeah. No, I think, I think actually um, team building and, employing people is a much more complex business than it used to be, but for the better, because it's a much more human mm. business. Yes. Um, so yeah, we all, we all have to learn new skills if we haven't already. We do definitely. And, and you know, the one thing I've, I've really enjoyed seeing a shift in is the interview experience itself and moving away from these, competency-based questions and more to just a conversation between two people and and do you like me do I like you do I like what you're doing here will I like working with you is this a mission is this a purpose that I could really get on board with um and you don't need competency questions to to answer those sorts of things I mean to be frank if you're sifting through a lot of CVs and all the rest of it you should already have covered the competency by the people you're interviewing so you know, 
can they do the job? Yes, they can. But now the interview is about, are you going to fit in the organization? Are you going to enjoy it? Are we going to enjoy working with you? Mm -hmm. Um, And do you have some of those non-competency added value? Are you going to be able to add something new to the organization, Mm. which is beyond, you know, your Excel spreadsheet capabilities? Yes, yes, spot on. Um, So so thinking a bit more day to day than Laura, um, have you have you got to a point now where you have a daily routine that you stick to or are you just wake up in the morning and, and just see what the day looks like? Well, I'm very lucky. My husband uh, brings me tea in the morning, so that's definitely the routine. Good way to other, than that, other than that, it's all pretty um, chaotic. Um, so there's no real routine in my life um, other than spending more time with my iPad than I do with, uh, with my husband. Um, <laughs> And um, traveling around London a lot. Um, I do some work in Birmingham, so I go up there. Yeah. And um, no, there isn't anything very fixed okay. um, in my life. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't eat until dinner. I okay. very, very rarely have breakfast or lunch. Okay. And is that, is that sort of by design or just by accident because you're busy? Or? You know, I've just got into a habit of it, but I haven't for, you know, decades. And I sustain myself on diet coke during the day. So right. is that a healthy diet or what? Well, yes. Yes. So you, were, so you were doing this kind of fasting thing well before it was, it was popular then? My God, yes. Amazing. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the world's catching up. Exactly, exactly. And, and do you think, Laura, this, this kind of um, the probably lack of daily routine, is that, is that kind of because you like to keep excited, you like to keep moving and doing different things and a, and a routine might feel a bit constrained on you? Yes, I mean, it's the nature of the work that I do, which means that there isn't much routine. So it's always different meetings or different people or um different requirements I quite like Fridays um in my office at home so I can catch up with all the um the fun emails and the communications around and about um but other than that there couldn't be said to be some sort of fixed routine cool okay um, and we've talked quite a lot about the changes going on um both industry but also you know across the country do you think, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion and bias. Do you, do you think that will ever be removed? Or do you think we're just as humans just designed to have a level of bias that will just always be with us? Um, I hope not. I think it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm involved very peripherally with an organisation that is run by a woman. And out of the 20 employees, there are only three men. Okay. So (laughs) this organization has a diversity problem. Um, But I think we need to really look at diversity in a much broader sense. I think one of the things that we do forget about is economic diversity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I think we also sometimes are looking, I mean, I think, Definitely, ethnicity and gender are really, really important. 
and particularly anything that, that is customer facing. But I do think economic diversity is important. Yeah. And um, I think that also age diversity. If you go into a, an organization where everybody is the same age, whatever age that is, I'm not sure that you're really capturing possibly the opportunities, mm. but also the experience or enthusiasm that you get from much older and much younger people. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with you. I think we can we can constrict the conversation if we only talk about gender or racial diversity when there's so much more diversity on the table to benefit benefit from. Actually. Exactly. You know, I think so. Um, so, so just thinking about pulling all of this together, then, or you've you've had wow, so many things going on in your life, um, you know, that have shaped where you've got to. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you have uh, control over what you do on a day-to-day basis and you, you, you're at the point now where you get to enjoy what you're doing. Where next then? What do you, what do you kind of see the, the future looking like for you? I just don't know, but um, I feel that there's at least another adventure in my life somewhere down the line. So um, anybody listening who's got... Uh, uh, an adventure needing needing some extra help i'm i'm ready and available amazing as long as it's not in russia obviously exactly <laughs> well wow it's it's been fascinating speaking to you laura it's re- really has it's kind of and as i said in 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 the intro i really enjoy doing these leadership conversations and, and every conversation i've had so far has been different and this one again, uh, taking us down a, a completely different track, um, and it and what it's shown to me is actually that you can you can look at somebody and their job title, and you can assume an awful lot about somebody, but what you've revealed to us today is this diversity of your career would have been really hard for somebody to look at your job title and kind of go, "There's a leader that is has made it, has been very successful." Um, but they wouldn't they wouldn't have guessed about you being a, a, a delivery driver and knowing the, the sort of London map like the back of your hand and wanting to learn plumbing and having those practical skills. People just wouldn't. And this is, the, I guess, a bit of bias that comes out in all of us. But you just yes. wouldn't assume that, would you? No, I mean, I think we've all got lots of lovely hidden talents. I'm just but before I um, before I die, I want to. Um, unlock some more if I can find them if there are any there I don't know <laughs> well but yeah, Ian yeah. it's been so nice talking to you and thank you oh absolutely fine um so thank you Laura and as always thank you for choosing to listen to what the future if you've enjoyed this episode then please hit subscribe and, and of course tell others about us and finally um mentoring is a hugely valuable step on the leadership journey and that's what we believe in as as future leaders and we're here to help make a difference. So if you feel the same way, then please get involved. Tap the join us button on our webpage, www.futureleadersmentoring.com and follow us on LinkedIn to get involved in the the good good conversations we're having there. So for now, goodbye, and we will speak again soon.